Please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25. Eight to ten year olds are gone already. I forget every Sunday. If you're still waiting for me, eight to ten year olds, and you want to go to your class, you can go ahead and go. 1 Samuel 25, I'll read the passage as I go through it and explain it. I've entitled this message, The Protection of Lady Wisdom. The Protection of Lady Wisdom. Uh, In 1838, in the northeast of England, that island nation, in the northeast of England, there was uh, a lighthouse operator who lived at a certain lighthouse with his family. And you know if you've kind of understood coastal sections, the importance of a lighthouse in days um, before uh, GPS and navigation of that sort. And so, uh, there was a particular man and his family lived in a lighthouse. Well, one morning, uh, one of his daughters woke up. Her name is Grace Darling. Grace Darling woke up and saw a, a ship that had been wrecked on some rocks uh, just kind of off, off the shore, off from where they lived. And she saw not just a a ship that was kind of torn into two, but she saw survivors, people stranded. And being the conditions that uh, they were in, her and her dad could not reach them by the regular means they would use to reach them, by the regular boat. So they had to take another boat kind of in a roundabout way. And together with her father, Grace Darling, and her dad, uh, together with her dad, they rescued a number of survivors, men, women, and children, Uh, She became one of the heroes of England then in 1838, and her name is memorialized. It reminds me uh, of today's passage. Today's passage, we, so far in 1 Samuel, we've been going through a book that contrasts people, right? Contrasts leaders, poor leaders, good leaders. Uh, Samuel comes on the scene, and he's kind of a hope for the nation, a prophet, speaks for the Word of God. Uh, The people still don't adhere to the Word of God, and so uh, they demand a king. God says to Samuel, they're they're not betraying you, they're betraying me, but anoint them a king. So uh, Samuel anoints Saul as king. Saul has a good start. We think, okay, this is good. And then we quickly learn that Saul's got some character issues, and Saul, we see, is the bad leader. Well, again, in the pattern of 1 Samuel, we see a bad leader kind of going down and a good leader coming up, and we have King David. And then you've got David against his enemies and David against Saul. And lately in the book, we've been reading about Saul wanting to kill David. So there's this back and forth. There's this contrast between righteousness and evil. And we're kind of seeing this played out in the book of 1 Samuel. Well, in this passage, there's another contrast or another dilemma or battle, if you will. There's a battle between David and a man named Nabal. Actually, the battle never happens. Because Nabal's wife steps in and stops David from sinning and killing Nabal. So in this passage, we see a a woman whose bravery and wisdom comes to the front, and she serves really David as a means of his rescuing from sin. This is a fascinating passage because uh, not often in 1 Samuel are women portrayed, but when they are, oftentimes they're portrayed as heroes, Hannah early on. And here later on in verse or chapter 25, this woman, Nabal's wife. So 
We're going to see this story fold out, uh, you know, fold out before us. I'm entitling it again, as I said, The Protection of Lady Wisdom. And here's the thing that we're going to see overall. God uses an honorable woman, Abigail, to protect David from sin. God uses an honorable woman to protect David from sin. But as you know, this isn't just a book that's relevant 3,000 years ago, right? God's teaching His people something today. The New Covenant, the writings of the New Covenant would affirm truths that we're going to pull out today. We're going to see that God protects His people Not just David then, he protects his people even now from sin by providing wisdom from others. So Abigail protects David because of God's using her. So God uses Abigail to protect David from his sin. God uses others in our life to give us wisdom, protect us from even our sin or going astray. This is one of the features of Scripture. Uh, In this passage, we're going to break it up into three parts, all right? Three features of God's wisdom through other people. Three features of God's wisdom through others. Let's notice first, God's wisdom through others is needed. It's necessary that we are helped by other people into the wisdom of God, to be led into the wisdom of God. You see this in verses 1 through 17. It starts off, this passage does, with a rather understated sentence. For all that it means, it's rather understated. understated. Now Samuel died. And all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. And then the verse goes on and says, Then David rose and went to the wilderness of Paran. There's just one even part of a verse that talks about Samuel dying. Samuel's been the hero so far. We haven't seen him in a while in this book, but Samuel is a hero, spoke the word of God, was faithful to the word of God, shepherded the people of Israel well. They didn't always respond to his leadership, but he shepherded them well. He's kind of been in the background in retirement, but now word gets out that Samuel's died. All Israel mourns over him. All Israel knew him. Remember what I told you earlier. Most judges, Samuel came to the forefront in the time of the judges, and he transitioned Israel to the time of the kings. But most judges would just rule over certain areas of Israel. Samuel was the first kind of nationwide judge of Israel. So it's appropriate that all Israel would assemble and mourn for him. They had this this national funeral, this national mourning over Samuel. And they buried him in his house at Ramah. So somewhere there on his property, somewhere there at his house, he's buried at Ramah. So right there, you're meant to see this isn't good. God has blessed the nation through Samuel's leadership. But now we officially break from Samuel's leadership And we go to David again, who will ascend the throne one day after Saul is gone. So enter David. Then Saul rose, or then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man of in Maon whose business was in Carmel. So he's doing business in a town that's a little bit away from where he lives. Carmel is significant. Wonder if you remember that from chapter 15. Saul had this great military victory, and so what did Saul determine to do? I'm going to make a statue of myself and put it right here. That was in Carmel. Carmel was known to be loyal to King Saul. So Carmel, this loyal location of Saul's followers, is a place where this wealthy man does business. Continue on. The man was very rich. 
He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. That's how you measured wealth. It wasn't in dollars and cents. It wasn't in some form of currency. It was in your assets. And his assets were sheep and goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. It's really interesting. Normally, ladies aren't referred to when you talk about important men. It's the man. He's the leader of the home. In this, in this culture, de- women would definitely have been looked down upon more than men. But as we're introduced to this man's name, the author of 1 Samuel wants you to see, oh, and here's his wife. Why is that significant? We don't often hear about wives. We don't often hear about Jonathan's wife or Saul's wife. It's not normal. But here, the Holy Spirit sees to it that we know Abigail. And the Holy Spirit sees to it that we understand that she was the good one in the relationship and he was the bad one. She is discerning and beautiful. That word discerning, intelligent, with a moral quality to it. Okay? She was discerning and beautiful. He was harsh and badly behaved. Beauty and the beast. Verse 4. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. Now stop right there. In that culture, a lot of people who hear that a rich man is shearing his sheep and going to then sell that wool for a huge profit, a lot of people who would hear that type of thing would go and steal the wool, overtake them. They didn't have a police force in that day. Everyone just had to defend themselves. So people would sometimes hire a security force, if you will, to defend them, for, or defend their sheep or their property from being attacked by raiders. So David hears that Nabal is shearing a sheep, but David isn't going to go and attack Nabal. He's going to go and offer some security. This may have been how David and his men earned their income in this time where they were traveling around the wilderness and hiding. So David sends 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. So you've got to start off by saying this, peace be to you. We're not here to overtake your wool. We're not here to to raid your property. Peace. We come in peace. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So David's saying, while you were back home in Maon, we were here in Carmel where your business is, and your shepherds were there, your shearers were there, and we stood guard. We made sure no one harmed them. You got all the, all the wool. You're going to get all the income. We come in peace. Can we now, on this feast day, be fed? Can you share with us some of your wealth, some of your food? We're hungry. We need help. Now, Nabal, according to the Torah, was obligated, commanded to share with David and his men. I wonder if he will. Look at verse 9. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants. Who is David? Now, remember, women have been singing in the streets 
Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. David was a famous military warrior for Israel. People knew David. But remember, Nabal does business in a town loyal to Saul. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? That's what Saul would often call David. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. David, breaking away from Saul. We start to see where Nabal's allegiance is, right? It's to Saul. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat, notice the my, that I have killed from my shears and give it to the men who come from I do not know where? This is all mine. Mine, 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 mine. Who's David? Why should I share with him? Well, because Deuteronomy 24 and Leviticus 19 tell you to, but I don't think Nabal cares. Why? Because he's harsh and badly behaved. We've already been told that. Verse 12, so David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. What words repeated there? Sword. It, guys, time to fight. No one's going to talk to us that way. No one's, no, sorry, get your sword, get your sword. I got my sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 men remained with the baggage. So 200 stay with all of their belongings, 400 with their swords, ready to go and kill Nabal. Now, didn't we just hear last week that Saul was trying to kill David, wrongly trying to kill David, and David had him right in front of him, and he didn't kill him. He showed him mercy. How dare I touch the Lord's anointed? So David won't kill the king, but because of a personal offense, David will kill this guy. That would be a sin. That would be a problem for David's future leadership. That would be a problem, we find out later in this passage, for David's future conscience. Remember, God is raising up a righteous ruler. Saul is the picture of an unrighteous ruler. So as you read through 1 Samuel, you're longing for a better king. Okay, it's not Saul, David, he, and he looks so good in the, in the early chapters that he's introduced in, in, in 1 Samuel. Starting from 15 and then on, he kills Goliath. This is our man. He trusts in God. He hopes in God. He shows mercy to the king who's trying to kill him. This is the righteous king we need. But now he's personally offended and he's going to go and kill the guy. So while your flesh might say, yeah, go kill him, when you're thinking rightly, you're saying, don't do that, David. We need better than that. But something's about to happen. You've got these swords clanking as 400 men march to kill this man, Nabal. Verse 14, but, we've got an interruption here. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. So, it's so interesting in 1 Samuel to see how unnamed messengers kind of thwart plans. Remember just a couple of weeks ago, Saul's on the same mountain as David. He's about to kill him and then insert random messenger. Hold on, stop. The Philistines are over here. They're attacking us. We've got to go get them. God stops Saul from 
capturing David because a messenger comes and interrupts the plan. Here, a messenger. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, listen, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both night and day, and all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master, Nabal, and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. And he's so worthless and harsh and foolish, we can't even tell him what's happening. So they go to his wife. This is going to show God's wisdom here is clearly needed. God's wisdom is clearly needed. There's a problem here. King David, righteous King David, who's about to sin to get back at this worthless fellow, needs to be protected by God from his own sin. God has to intervene. God's wisdom through others is clearly needed. God is going to use, we've been introduced to her already, he's going to use Abigail to intervene, stop David from sinning, so they continue on as this righteous king of Israel. God's going to see to it that he uses this woman to intercept David from sinning. God obviously needs to guide us by his wisdom, but what I want us to understand today is God determines to give us wisdom by other people. This is a biblical principle. We think we would all say, we would all affirm if we were taking a theology test right now, do you need God's wisdom? Yes. We all got it. Yes, I need God's wisdom. Second question, do you need to listen to other people? Ah, I don't know about that one. I mean, I'm my own man. I have my own business. I'm my own woman. Don't you see how many followers I have on social media? I mean, I'm successful. I'm the mom of the year. I'm the husband of the year. Whatever. I, 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 The Bible teaches that God's people need wisdom from other people. Old Testament, there is wisdom and safety in a multitude of counselors. Solomon to his son, seek wisdom. Go looking for wisdom. Colossians 3, admonish one another sometimes. You might need to admonish one another. Here's how you do it, with all wisdom. Wisdom is needed for the people of God, and wisdom through other people is one of the means that God uses to give it to us. But David, who's often the hero and has even been shown already to be the hero, to us in 1 Samuel, he also can be tempted towards strife and living in a very unwise way. And again, we'll see that play out in the rest of the chapter. But I want to pause and read from you James 3. Listen to this, James 3, 13 to 17. James is talking to a group of people who are saying, you need to have faith in Jesus Christ, and amen, amen. But when you have faith in Christ, He, he does something to you. You're different. And so faith is accompanied by then good works. Those good works don't earn you favor with God. You've already got it by faith in Jesus. But true people with faith have good works that follow. And so James is seeing conflict in the church, and he says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Hey, church, who are the wise ones in the church? 
By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So, so we'll be able to tell who the wise ones are by their conduct. Then he says this, but if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, this is kind of where David's at right now, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That's not living wisely. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. You want to know what that wisdom is? The wisdom that seeks revenge? James tells us that wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and in this word, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first. Now, here's what wisdom really looks like. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. David's shown us mercy just a chapter ago, but now he's not showing mercy. But remember, wisdom is showing mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So James is getting our attention. Let's, let's see David's predicament in light of James 3. David is not being wise. Abigail is going to be the picture of wisdom in this chapter. Listen to Proverbs 13.10. By insolence comes nothing but strife. And listen to this now. But with those who take advice is wisdom. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. In the Bible, wise people are those who listen. Wise people are those who listen to others who speak the word of God to them, listen to others who give them godly counsel. And the good thing in this passage, as you'll see later on, is David listens to the advice. He listens to the wisdom. So that's good. But David needs to have God's wisdom. It's interesting. David has been the hero of the story so far. David is wonderful. David is amazing. David is brave. He is godly. He's got the right friends. He's got mercy. David is wonderful, and David still needs help. I don't care how mature we are. We all need help to continue being faithful. All of us need help. So, friend, by application, See your need to listen to the wisdom of others who speak the Word of God to you, who give you godly wisdom. First and foremost, learn wisdom from the Scriptures. There's a whole genre of Scripture devoted to giving wisdom. And even wisdom is sprinkled all throughout other genres of Scripture. So wisdom is needed. Wisdom's needed. And God sees to it that we get wisdom from one another as we share God's truth with one another. Let's look at a second feature of God's wisdom. God's, window, God's wisdom is through others is needed. And secondly, God's wisdom through others is beautiful. It's rather appealing. Verses 18 to 31, Abigail was called beautiful early on in verse 3. And now we see why. Look at verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared, and five seahs of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisin, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. A lot of food, a lot of donkeys. She's bringing what David and his men want in the first place. 
And she said to her young men, her servants, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. So, so they're going to come and attack Nabal, but she intercepts them on the way. There's this meeting between now Abigail and David. Verse 21, now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also. If by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him, I'm going to slaughter every man that's loyal to him along with him. It's so interesting that the Holy Spirit sees to it on this meeting. We learn what David is saying on his way there. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get him. No, you're not. God's too good to you. He's going to interrupt your plans for harm. What a good God. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Humble, honoring David. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Don't do anything to my husband. Just do it to me instead. What a woman. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Please, please let me speak. I've got something to say. Verse 25, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for his name is, so is he. Nabal means foolish. Don't regard my foolish husband. That's his name, and he's acting foolish. Now, right there, you might ask, what were his parents thinking? <laughs> Look at our baby. Idiot. <laughs> Names can mean more than one thing. Okay? Nabal could be understood to mean noble, skilled, or an arrow, like an offensive weapon that, that, that does something good. Think of Psalm 127. But it also means fool. And Abigail knows that. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I didn't know you came asking for food. I wasn't around. I didn't see that. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. You'll see that term or a phrase like it in the English, restrained or held back or restrained again. You'll see that a few times in this passage. This chapter is showing us God restraining David from evil by this wise woman. Because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. So don't do this. Don't try to solve the problem on your own. Don't try to solve this by blood. Don't bring blood guilt on your hands. Don't do this. God's going to make you a sure house. Accept this offering for our wrongs and leave it in the hands of the Lord. So again, 28, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. You're beating the Philistines. You're defending people. My Lord's certainly going to make you a sure house. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. 
She is trying to keep David from sinning because he's the coming king of Israel. Don't sin. You're better than that. Your office is too important to have you be guilty of bloodshed like this. Verse 29, if men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. That, that's a phrase that speaks to, it's an idiom in, in the Hebrew there, bound up in a bundle. It's, it's uh, the idea of you finding something valuable in your house or, or oh, I've been looking for that or I was, re- I get, I was given a gift and you find it and you think, I got to protect this. And you maybe put it in a, some sort of case or something, you put it in a secure location. That's the idea. God's, God's bundling his people up because of how precious they are. So she's saying you're, you're to be bundled up with the living in the care of God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Sling, where have we heard that before in 1 Samuel? It's like David slung his stone. Abigail's saying, your enemies will be slung out from your presence. Verse 30, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, Abigail knows he's the coming king, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Isn't that interesting? Abigail's not just saying, don't, she's not just defending her husband. Don't kill him. She's also saying, you don't want a guilty conscience moving forward. She's trying to protect his conscience. Wise people do that for one another. Don't, don't do what you're going to do. Please don't go down the road you're going to go. You, for a number of other reasons, you don't want to live with a tormented conscience like that. That's what Abigail is saying to David. And after the Lord deals well with you, please remember me. <laughs> Remember the wise words I've given you. This right there, verses 23 through 31, that's a beautiful paragraph. That's a beautiful woman, a godly woman, giving wise counsel to someone who's about to sin, thinking about the coming nation of Israel and their health under David's reign, thinking about David's own conscience, thinking about her husband, this is a wise woman. In this, in this uh, paragraph, she confesses wrong that her husband's done. She makes restitution. She asks forgiveness. She recognizes David's right to the throne as been given to him by God, and she protects David's righteousness and his conscience. That's a wise woman. This is beauty right here. In many ways, paralleling Hannah in many ways paralleling the Proverbs 31 expression of a wise woman, this is true beauty. It's wisdom personified. You think of Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's a passage about evangelism, that's bringing the gospel to the nations who don't know about Christ. But the truth is the same behind that. It's beautiful to bring good news to someone. It's beautiful to bring a good message. This is a beautiful woman bringing wisdom to David, protecting David from sin. 
We have beauty all around us. We have beauty all around us in this regard. Wisdom is seen here in this passage is beautiful. I think of uh, a friend of mine whose son, a teenage son, struggles with depression. He, you don't know him. He, they're in the valley, but um, his son struggles with depression. And this friend of mine who's a father, just his heart aches for his son, and he's gone through so many difficulties. Well, one day was especially difficult for his son, so my friend went to pick him up from school, and my friend knew, my friend's a godly man, and he, he knew, you know, we, we've talked to him, we've prayed with him, we've given him truth, and, and he knew one of the things that helps people who are struggling and depressed is to is be outside and be in nature and even to see beautiful things. And so just kind of as kind of the final actor, just doing whatever he could, he picks his son up from school and they drive up to Prescott, and they go to the north parking lot of Lynx Lake. And my friend and his teenage son, this is recent, to stand there and just look at the lake. No words. Just standing there looking. And my friend said, we were there for five minutes. And my son said, I'm good now, Dad. Got in the car, headed back home. God gives us beautiful things to see and, and calm us, guard us. Nature is a beautiful thing that God gives us as a gift. The heavens declare the glory of God. And I was thinking about that when I thought about this. Wisdom is beautiful. God gives beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things. And I thought about Romans 10, beautiful feet of people who bring good news. We have that solution that Lynx Lake was that day. We have that in this church wise people in this church that can give people good news and good counsel and good advice. And that is a gift from God, a gift from God. So I I just want to say as your pastor, we all need wisdom. David is the hero of 1 Samuel, one of them, and he's in need here of protection. He's in need here of wisdom. So friend, there's wisdom all around. I'm asking you to, to get some of it. <laughs> Talk to people in this church who are wise, who, who know the, who've been down the roads you've been before, who, who know the Scriptures, who have a testimony of wise living. Talk to them. Learn from them. The Scriptures prize that. Wisdom is beautiful. Third and finally, there's a third and final feature in this passage of wisdom, God's wisdom through others. God's wisdom through others is protective. You see God protecting David. And this is kind of the, the culmination of the whole, uh, the, the whole chapter here. We see God protecting David. The whole chapter is demonstrating that God uses other people here, Abigail, to bring wisdom to his people. And look at specifically verses 34 and 39. Look at verse 34. David says this, For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, you, your family. So so David gives credit to God for using Abigail to bring him wisdom so he wouldn't restrain her and her household. Notice he gives God the credit for restraining him. He uses that word restrain. And then look at verse 39. It's the, the, the same idea 
the Lord has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. So it's the Lord keeping you back. You're about to walk off a cliff. The arms come around and keep you back, restrain you. They're the Lord's arms. The Lord uses Abigail to be his arms of restraint against David. And David says twice that he knows that's what's happening. His worship is to the Lord for the gift of Abigail. Verse 32, let's walk through the rest of the passage. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. One of the things that that happens when we use the wisdom of other people that God gives us is that we praise the Lord for that. I mean, some of you can name people in your life and should be able to have a list of people who've spoken the Word of God to you, given you wisdom in times of difficulty, restrained you from sin by their words or pointing you to the words of Scripture. There are lots of people that we can praise the Lord for. The Lord has put those servants in our path, and David sees that here clearly from God's hand in giving him Abigail. Verse 33, blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. David recognizes that she kept him from sin. For surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. I would have killed everyone, all of his guys and him, but you restrained me. God sent you to me. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, all the food. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I've granted your petition. David seemingly stops in his tracks. He's not going to do her home, her household harm. Verse 36, now this is interesting. Remember I told you last week that David didn't kill Saul because he knew God would punish Saul in his own time for all the wrongs he had done against David. God was leaving just, or David was leaving justice in the hands of God. Saul has wronged me. I'm not doing anything about it. I'm leaving the future judgment there in God's hands. I wonder if God does in fact avenge those who have been mistreated, those of his servants who have been mistreated. I wonder if God does punish evildoers. Verse 36, and Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. Huh, he's no king. David's king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him. I mean, Nabal is just high on life. It's as if he's a king. You're not king. That guy's king, and he almost killed you. But God was good because he stopped him from killing you. You're not a king. But Nabal thinks he's like a king. Heart merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. She's not going to try to give wisdom to a drunk person. That's good thinking. Again, Abigail, very wise. Verse 37, in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, all that had happened. And his heart died within him. Most people think he may have had a stroke right then. And he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. What do we learn from this? Don't take vengeance into your own hand. Leave it up to the wrath of God. Romans chapter 12. 
Let God be the judge. You just be faithful. And sometimes when you're about to sin, he may send someone to interrupt you from sin. See how good God is. He will keep you from sin, and he will do justice. We can rest here. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. He kept me from sin and he punished an evildoer. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal in his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. That's like the ultimate defeat for Nabal. <laughs> when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to, to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. This is her humility. I mean, she's got servants. We've already been told that. She's got people. Load up the donkeys. Bring the raisins. Bring the food. She's saying, I should be washing the feet of your servants. This is a humble woman. Verse 42, And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And then this curious statement here. Why is verse 43 here? David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michal his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. So we hear that David was supposed to marry someone earlier. Saul interrupted that and gave, him, gave her to another man. So we're still remembering that Saul and David are at odds here. But we also are told again that David's now got multiple wives, which is forbidden in the Torah. More about that in a moment. I don't want you to miss that God's wisdom through others is protective. God uses other people to protect us from harm, to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from our own sinful impulses. God uses other people. If you're driving and you come to a road where you normally kind of take the ramp and go over that bridge, but one day there are barriers there, signs, Bridges out, construction, do not enter, whatever it may be, that's a little gift of grace from the Arizona Department of Transportation. That's, thank you, ADOT. All right, that is a gift of grace. God constantly does that for His children. I think it'll be very interesting to learn in eternity all the ways God interrupted plans of ours, maybe didn't even answer prayers of ours, interrupted us because He's a protective God. Good parents say no to their children. Good parents set fences around their children. God is a good father. He protects his children. Delroth Davis said this about in this passage. He said, what loving hands construct the roadblocks to our foolishness? Loving hands. So, I think before we move on to this final note about David, I think it's good to see that God protects us by giving us the wisdom of others. Uh, I, and because in this section David rejo rejoices, praises the Lord for Abigail, he praises God for sending Abigail, I just think it'd be good for us to praise the Lord for the ways that he has 
used other people's counsel to benefit us in the past. Maybe that's something you talk about at lunch, talk about tonight, talk about this week at Bible study, whatever it may be. Who in your life and what situations did God use to, to, to stop you from going down a bad path? Who did God use to bring wisdom to you, to speak the word to you? God is a protective God, and He should be praised for that. So I'd encourage you to have conversations like that. But let's kind of end on thinking about this. Consider David. As I've said before earlier this morning, David's been the hero so much, so often, and he will continue to be the hero throughout 1 Samuel and even into 2 Samuel. David is heroic. He is brave. He's a man of God. He's got a certain commitment to Jonathan, his friend, that is, that is highly commendable. He wants to be righteous. He trusts in God. David should be a great example to the people of God. But David's not the Savior. In fact, in this passage, David needed to be saved, rescued, right? Abigail was the means to rescue and help David. David needed wisdom to interrupt his own vengeful impulses. David is needy. David needs help to be righteous. David is inconsistent in his righteousness. Sounds a lot like me and you. He has a great day, shows mercy to Saul. And guess what? Next week, the next chapter, he'll show mercy to Saul again. This is a great king, a merciful king who shows the heart of God. But in the middle of those two sections, David needs God's mercy himself. He needs to be protected. David marries multiple women which is a violation of at least two places in the Torah. Genesis 2 itself, Genesis 2, that passage, 24 says, I think I got it right, 24. Genesis 2 says that man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Husband and wife joined together, one flesh. And as we know, this was kind of an accepted sin of that day. Didn't mean God accepted the sin but it continued on. It was part of the culture. But what we should see here in this very last verse of 1 Samuel 25 is we've had so many high hopes for Israel. I mean, if you just follow along, if you, if you, try to, if you take yourself out of the 21st century and go back to the middle of 1 Samuel, you think, Okay, Saul, man, what a great start. This is great. The nation is going to receive all her blessings from God and going to rule over the nations forever. Wrong. Their king is a bad king. Okay, now David, he slung Goliath. Here we go. We're going to rule over the nations forever. God's going to be our God. He's going to dwell with us. No more problems. We've got the king we need. Looks good. Looks good. Look at this friendship. Look at this military defeat. Look at this mercy that he shows. What a king. What a king. What a king. And now look at him. Lose control and almost sin. And now, look at him marry more than one wife. David's not it. David is not the solution that Israel needs. He's a great help, a great example, a great little s savior, but he's not perfect. 
You know who this is begging for, right? It's begging for the greater son of David. The one who had enemies and prayed for them as he was dying. The one who was wronged and left justice into the hands of his father. The one who will come back one day and smash his enemies. But he waits for a time. The one who never sinned. The one who never committed adultery. Jesus Christ is the hero of this book. Jesus Christ is the unspoken hero of 1 Samuel. Even the heroes are flawed in 1 Samuel. But Jesus comes a thousand years later onto the scene as the greater son of David. He's the personification of wisdom. He is perfectly righteous, and he is committed to one bride, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ not only didn't go and destroy his enemies, he actually died for them. He died for us. He died for our sins. All of us have made the mistakes of Nabal. My food, my toy, my reputation, my, 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 and we've hurt other people. We've all been the one that deserves to be destroyed by God as we selfishly try to build our own kingdoms instead of living as worshipers of him. But Jesus, God's own son, God in the flesh came and didn't destroy us. He showed us mercy and he died for us and all of those sins are paid for. And then he came out of the grave and showed us what it means to live. We have life. We can trust him for life. But I want to end with this verse. David should be a hero to us in terms of kind of another person like us. He's not to be worshipped. He's flawed. There are things to commend about David's life and there are things to regret about David's life. It reminds me of Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Why do you need to remember your leaders? Because they die. David died. They are flawed. They don't rule forever. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Today, he's alive and forever. So have your leaders. Just know that all of them are flawed. None of them deserve blind loyalty. Jesus, on the other hand, he's never sinned, never done anything wrong. He's cared for us, his enemies, and he's alive. Jesus can be worshiped and adored today. He's alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your protection on us by giving us the wisdom of other people. Thank you for protecting us by giving us the words of Jesus, by giving us the guidance of Jesus, the shepherding of Jesus. Father, in whatever ways our souls need to be guided, pray that you'd guide them. Use your son, use his word, use his people to help continue us down the path of righteousness demonstrating the wisdom that comes from above and not the selfish, bitter, vengeful wisdom from the world. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.